From out of the lab and into the gym, it's the Coach B Plus Applied Sports Science Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Applied Sports Science Podcast. In episode 5, Kevin sits down with one of the most influential voices in the sports science world, Carl Valley, who is the Director of Innovation for Inside Tracker. You can follow Carl on Twitter at SpikesOnly. A wide variety of topics touched on in this episode. One of the main themes is the approach to working closely with coaches and athletes on a sports science approach. Remember, you can listen to every episode on iTunes or at CoachMePlus.com. Now, to Kevin and Carl. So, uh, welcome to uh, Coach Me Plus podcast, the Applied Sports Science podcast number five. We're here with Carl Valley, um, who over at the Central Virginia Sports uh, Performance Summit. We're going to have some people coming in and out, of course, while we're doing this. Uh, we also have Ethan Owens in the room, uh, former uh, Catapult, now Coach Me Plus employee and Derek Hansen one of Derek the uh, Hansen. Derek Hansen one of the uh, speakers at the Central Virginia seminar yeah no it's gonna be great and you know what honestly like the the way that the way when we started this podcast I was like I, I want to go as low on the format as possible so that okay. we're not like really sticking to something so actually having guys kind of creep in here might actually work out for us oh good so they might steal your sunshine from you hey that's fine as long as it <laughs> So long as it's funny and, and at least entertaining during the yeah. the commutes that some of these coaches have to deal with. Um, yeah, that's and that's you know that's that's the feedback that we got is that some of these guys actually listen to this stuff like while they're on their treadmill and while they're running around and uh, you know they're driving into the office and they got those long commutes so they're so they're doing it that way and good. Hey, if we're making it we're making it easy on people, we'll make it easy on people. So um, this is the first podcast that we actually did a little bit of prep for. Good. And uh, Carl, you, you basically reach out to people to ask questions ahead of time, right? Yeah. It, the the questions, some of them are very specific to their situation, and they're like 500 words, and it's like, okay, you're dealing with an individual athlete, an individual problem. Yeah. And sometimes it's nice to get like little case studies, but you know what you want to do is have something more universal, more systemic that you can you can you know help more more coaches that are in the, the same situation and there's yep. a lot of you know things that you can learn from uh, just having you know very good bread and butter questions got it so um, you know we do have some questions uh, that you put here in front of me and I think it's gonna be I think it's gonna be good to kind of shape the conversation but I also want to keep it a little bit natural I mean we just we just got out of a, a really good um, couple of seminars or a couple of uh, speaking engagements here at the at the conference, and the energy yeah. the energy is still kind of yeah, there's a good vibe. high, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. So um, you know the, the 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 last one, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of feedback and a lot of live questions coming back about um, you know how you're getting athletes to actually comply with monitoring and how you're getting athletes to actually uh, do things in in an environment that's constantly flowing and constantly changing. Um, you know what would what would you say your biggest um, your biggest question that maybe wasn't answered in that would would have been. I, I think we're talking about Randy Ballard's yep. Um, yep. Uh, presentation, and you know what was great about Randy is uh, I've known him for for years. Uh, is that we're, we're cut from the same cloth. Mm -hmm. um, some of the same mentors that have influenced him are the people that were my uh, USA Track and Field Level Three instructors yep. or yep. Level Two or. 
And so I, I really find that uh, there's a lot of uh, similarities of what Randy comes into conclusions. But you know, obviously coming from a medical mm-hmm. perspective, uh, even though he has a, a influence from coaches, I think one of the things that was a little bit uh, puzzling, and that's why there were questions, is how to get it done. Yep. And I felt like uh, a lot of coaches were really impressed, really excited, but left a little overwhelmed, saying, how do I get this done? Yep. And anytime I see any type of presentation, I always ask, are those screenshots or are they representations of someone's philosophy? Um, my presentation, since I, uh, I'm, I'm going to be uh, <laughs> doing, tomorrow, right? doing something at 8 a.m., is, is going to be a little bit different. I'm not going to change my presentation based upon, obviously, uh, what Randy's uh, projecting. But I am going to also build upon that. And the ability to ad-lib will, will make things resonate with coaches because I said, hey, I'm in the same boat you are. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that was uh, a little bit of an enigma is, all right, show me. You're telling me this stuff, but, but show me. Do a demo. Okay, go right now to find an athlete, look him up, and saying what's the, you know, whether it be a different term of the KPI because obviously there's a difference between sure. uh, limitations and, and things like that. But like, show me what that looks like. You you wake up, open up your laptop. You're not having a conversation with 500 student athletes at once. And that was one, I think, the thing, the things on one, Twitter. One one of the guys asked. He said, "Yeah, I, uh, I'm one coach. I got 500 athletes." How do I do this? Yeah, yeah. And so you know, and and then the I think about a week ago, uh, and I was I think I was tweeting at you or tweeting at someone was talking about hey the best uh, way to relate to an athlete is to talk to them. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at I, I hear that every <laughs> single year. I don't get a, I don't get upset about it. I know the people's intentions. I do that. The first thing I do is I I, I text some of the athletes I work but with. But you work with much smaller groups. I work with a tiny group, but I always say to people, I said, don't do what I do. (laughs) Because first of all, you know, the the amount of hours I put in is not realistic to individual athletes. As a guy that has an art background, I treat people like a sculpture. And you don't have scaled Michelangelo. Even he might have had some people help him out when he was doing his work. Uh, But the whole idea is like, here's what I do, and you're a super coach, and you work with three or four athletes. And that's great in Olympic sport, but that's not what the average high school strength coach deals with. So, so this is like a recurring theme that we see over and over again where um, what you do as a consultant, you get to scratch the surface or scratch the, uh, the latest stuff. Mm-hmm. And you get to do it in a way because you're working with you know, uh, a 1 to 5 kind of or maybe a 1 to 10 or even 1 to 1 yeah. where you're working directly with people. And um, in the NBA, we see uh, similar um, coach to athlete ratios, which is why the NBA, I think, you know, pretty, pretty uh, easily adopts new technology because you yeah. have this one for one type of relationship. Now you take it into, um, let's go really way over the top and go to research where you have guys in you know lab coats doing all the research and looking at populations, and they have the staff to be able to manage it. Now that works in your setting. That works in. Um, you know the setting where you have a, a low ratio of coach to athlete, like the NBA, and it works well in a setting where you have research researchers doing it. Now we get into the applied setting, and now we have two coaches, 500 kids. One coach, 300 kids. That breaks down, right? Yeah, the rules change when when the rubber hits the road, and and you don't. And and also, if you look at a high school, the average coach, unless you're like the big powerhouse 
you know, football programs in the South, you're probably dealing with someone that is very part-time. So when you hear all these discussions of like, okay, this is what I'm doing for quote monitoring or getting data, I always say, okay, that's great, but is that gonna work for someone that is a, maybe the guy's a blue collar person that's coming off and he's doing a double shift? Is he gonna go and say, okay, I'm gonna wake up at, you know, God knows when to go and manually take data from an Excel spreadsheet that was sent from an athlete. It's not going to happen. Sure. So when things when things do break down, that's when I begin. You know, everything sounds great on paper. That's why I always like to say, show it to me. Open up your laptop and, and let's see it. And as soon as you say it can't be done for uh, a larger group, that's when I said that's your problem. Not necessarily not necessarily scaling it but you didn't get more depth with the smaller population. So a lot of coaches think, well, I need to get a questionnaire in, what can I do, you know, uh, low-hanging fruit topics, I, I hate it. So that what I, my job is to take maybe of N of one, which was an example by uh, both Bob and Randy, and go deeper. And once you go deeper, then you know what is good and what's not useful. So I like width, depth, and then getting the information immediately so you can actually use it. And my concern is that, uh, and I had in the hallway, as soon as I left, you saw that high school coach, hey, what do I do now? Yeah. And, you know, and so I think that what people need to know is uh, in respect someone else's calendar, what are your available times to do your job? A, someone in college, that is their job. Yeah. Someone in high school, which is 30,000 high schools, you need someone to be able to do something for 15 minutes a day, tops. Otherwise, it's just not gonna be done. The same rules apply for coaches as that do for athletes. If an athlete says this is gonna take me 18 minutes to do, they won't do that. Yep. A coach is also gonna say, if I have an athlete taking 18 minutes to do, I don't have 18 minutes times whatever amount of athletes they work with. So that's why, uh, you know, as a technology and a sports technologist, I look at scaling things. You've got to be able to, to, to see, is this liquid and can this move very quickly? Um, and it doesn't have these typical barriers. Import-exporting is my biggest pet peeve. And it's tough because, you know, I, I feel for the coach that says, hey, my wife and I have to do a, a, a bake sale just to afford uniforms. I understand that. You know, I've been in the same situation where, you know, we had a cookie drive in, in, in high school. You know, I've been in college settings where you know that kids are missing meals because they're not on scholarship. And it's a lot of it is volunteerism in terms of participation. Yeah. So it, it, it's, I feel bad. The free stuff usually gets to 90% perfect. Yeah. And they always say, well, that last 10% will find a way to upload the data later. It doesn't work that way. Well, nobody ever does. It's kind of it's kind of like you, you sit on a pile of stuff and it's like we'll get to it we'll get to it and then next year comes and you got to get back into it again and you forget about this pile of data that's sitting back there, but you're so you're um, you're in a ton of I'm handing this over to Ethan, uh, you're always in a ton of a middle conversation on Twitter about you know anything that's going on right like. Um, Let's just stick to this subject and, and, and talk about athlete monitoring and, and actually doing it in a practical and in in, in a, an applied way. The um, Derek will chime in whenever. Derek wants to whenever. whenever. Seems, yeah. Seems necessary. <laughs> I just can't so, believe you compared yourself to Michael <laughs> <laughs> No, no. 
Yeah, that's a good point. You remember, this is live and unscripted, <laughs> and so anything that comes out, you know, unfortunately, especially with Periscope, there's no filter. So, yeah. you know, unlike some of the, you know, there's no redo, you know. So uh, for those listening, <laughs> I, I'm not saying that you know, <laughs> I, I am Michelangelo, far from it. That's probably why, uh, you know, uh, um, I'm here now talking about, uh, you know, surveys and wellness questionnaires, you know. <laughs> Oh, you paint the ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> well, so so you're in the middle. You're in the middle of. Um, somebody said it best. They said Carl Valley makes you think, right? Like yeah. you, you don't you don't bullshit and ask the question for the sake of asking the question and calling people out. You actually ask the question because you're curious and you want to know and you want to see what's out there. Yeah. And with all the things that that are thrown at you on this subject, you know, you get to do surveys and things like that on a micro basis. Yeah. You get to see that scenario happen and work really well, and we get to see it on a research basis. What have you seen that really works? These, you know, we got 150 people walking out of the room going, "Now what?" Yeah. What do you see, and what have you seen that actually really works on a scalable level? When I've got that one to five hundred or that one to three hundred ratio. So, that's a lot of a lot of the stuff I look at right now is the N of one, the team, which is between, like you said, with a basketball team, anywhere between. 15 and, and maybe 50 mm -hmm. and then we have like the enterprise mode which is you know if you deal with uh, large high schools that have JV and freshman squads you're dealing with hundreds you know a large college hundreds you know and then so even an academy some of these larger academies that are in in Europe you're dealing with satellite locations mm -hmm. so what works is is starting off as speed Okay. How, you know, the first thing I ask is how long does it take to do? And from there, you, you want something that's more agile, that's going to give you as much data width. So if I've got, if I've got uh, 150 kids coming in, a 90-second time period for each of those kids, way too long. Yeah, I mean, the, the, what is the bottleneck? So when you look at um, doing any type of, quote, monitoring, and I'm going to get into modeling later, yeah. is... I always ask, what's their workflow, the kid's daily life? And, and Randy did a, a wonderful job showing, yeah, the time that you ask the questions, you're going to get little information. Mm -hmm. So I came up with a, a time pyramid, which is a way to say, hey, how do you use 24 hours? Mm -hmm. Sleep, everyone's talking about it. We'll use the mythical eight, eight hours because everyone's getting all this sleep because it's not a problem. And then you have, uh, in, a, in a high school situation, then you have six hours that you must physically attend school, yep. right? And then you have study, which is the third S. You know, that's between three and four hours. Mm -hmm. Sport, two to three hours, right? And then I, I have um, social, which is, you know, kids playing Call of Duty with their friends, and that's sure. about an hour. Sure. Now, how you organize that, there's drive times and other stuff, that should add up to 24 hours. The, the most important way for coaches to really understand someone's life is to create a calendar longitudinally and then what their daily grind is when they wake up to go to sleep so they can say, hey, when is my opportunity to when get information? In. Right. So, and, yeah. and, but, that, but I think it's a great point because everybody thinks, well, the time starts the minute you walk in the gym, yeah. the minute you're out of the gym, we hope you, eat, you, know, you, you stay on your diet, good luck, see you tomorrow. Yeah. But you're saying sprinkle in. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's no rules. That's the first rule. Monitoring is very, who's doing what, let me copy them. It's very bot, it's very top down. If this elite club is doing this, then it's gonna somehow trickle down, especially the people that are winning. So, you know, right, right? I mean, it's like, like Derek said, 
you know, whoever wins the, uh, the, the, the national title, that year's strength program is going to be used on every single high school program there. And it was, it, was a great, it was a great point, too, because Joe Ken wins the NFL Strength Coach of the Year Award at the, at the NFL Strength Coach Dinner. You know, and Rick Nash, or not Rick Nash, um, Howard. Howard Nash, yeah, gets let go. And it's because Carolina performed, you know, exceedingly well. Had nothing to do with the talent. It all had to do with the coaching, or you know. And th- th- I mean, that's that's yeah, the perception. Yeah, that's perception. Yeah, Now, I mean, Ken's a great coach, right? Yeah. Powerhouse. He's he's you know he's awesome. But you know, is he strength coach of the year, or is the talent around him? Are the W's tied to what we you know what you guys are doing here, or you know do you have to find another metric that actually shows that you're successful? So. Um, when you're uh, when you're trying to weight the value of what you're doing and sprinkling these things in again, let's go back. You know, applied. How do you sprinkle in the right stuff that forget the winners of the Stanley Cup and forget the champions of this and that? Like, what have you actually seen in a in a true working environment that you just go, yeah, man, that's it. That really works well. So, uh, you know, as you know, we overlap a lot of clients and we, we work with teams and, you know, I work with, uh, you know, a handful of consultants that do work with teams. And and the first thing I look at it is, uh, when you're using and leverage, uh, something as simple as elegant as the, as the smartphone, Mm -hmm. um, it's a service industry. An athlete, you know, I was on the plane, and what, what we're comfortable with is that you, you press the light if you need some help. Mm-hmm. So I think that uh, it, it's a perspective. Uh, a lot of coaches say, hey, the athlete's not willing to do this. We have a problem with compliance. I said, sure. you know what? If it was a concierge service, right, the difference between Big Brother and a guardian angel is all about how you create a perspective. So. When I work with my athletes, they feel like, wow, here's a guy that's he's organized. He can call a uh, uh, a massage therapist. He can I can input. There's SMS messaging. There's alert systems. Mm-hmm. They feel like there's someone there for them. Okay. Okay. So it's in the attitude. If you're worried that you can't get data from people, guess what? You're not going to get data from them. They're going to smell it. The athletes always smell it. It sounds like you're telling me that the first step should always be some sort of communication platform, whether it be text message, email, phone call. Yeah, and, and we all know that the, the, the smart device, you know, the, the smartphone is probably the easiest way to do so. Yeah. Um, I think you got to rotate. There's nothing wrong with saying, hey, we're going to grab some food at whatever hot lunch place. And then do the face-to-face time. I think you got to ma- uh, you got to match a little bit of the human element, so that you're not just, you know, staying in there playing Pokemon. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, but I also feel that there isn't a way that technology is about efficiency. It's it's that's why it's beautiful. And I think that the the technology gets a bad rep because, you know, it's amazing. People are saying, well, this guy's a keyboard warrior, and they're and they're tweeting this on their smartphone. I'm like, okay, you just called someone a keyboard warrior using the irony is so thick you can choke on it <laughs> using a mobile device and a you know and and obviously a, a touch screen so so um but so that but that mindset like flips all this on its head because everybody's like data first right like everything that we're talking about here is data first and we're capturing information we're going to track information we're going to use it and all this other stuff but um everybody kind of skips past that part everyone of, rushes in yeah that part of like i need to be able to talk to my guy first yeah, and I think that's the issue is if I was to um, take a pool of money that uh, a team is working with, the first thing I would do is to say, okay, what do you know you can do? Like, what's your knowledge? 
Um, what are you trying to do? And then what are you getting done? And each gap represents probably an area where culture. And I always say this, and Laudan Jovanovic just posted it, I don't know, like a year ago. It's not what you know, it's what you can get your athletes to do. Right. So many people ask me, well, how'd you get involved with, with, with coaching when, when, you know, what'd you do for a sport? I did swimming and track, and it's a tale of two cities. I had an amazing set of coaches in swimming, and I had some really well-intended coaches in track. Got injured in track repeatedly. Swimming, you know, obviously we won three state titles. So I think it's the attitude towards things. And the first thing you got to do is say, hey, what's it like to be an athlete? Yeah. And I say this with wellness questionnaires all the time. I said, do you do wellness questionnaires for your, if you're like a lawyer? Could you imagine a lawyer waking up and getting really boring questions or a survey that's excessively long? User experience. So the most important rule with data collection is athlete user experience. Yep. When you get uh, a, a, you know, you're evaluating, you know, you see people looking at brain and heart and there's like, you know, like they're pulling patches off and hairs coming off and, you know, things like that. What's it like to do that? Yeah. Even the guys like in, in myself, I actually use the equipment on myself first and say, hey, here's a guy that lives with the stuff. He, on Indiegogo, I'm probably, you know, dropping tons of money, you know, or whatever. I don't even like to do this. There's no way someone that's not engaged is yeah. going to do that. So I think what we need to do, and, and, and Doug talked about the bell curve. Yeah. A bell curve, you're going to have majority of the athletes are going to be like, hey, I'll do it if it's, you know, low friction. Then you're going to have the people that are like, you got to find, put their face on a milk carton to do anything. You know, where are they? They, wow, the guy took a shower in his portable, you know, uh, you know his limo. He doesn't even want to go into the weight room. Then you're going to have the guys, and sometimes they're on the bench, are willing to do anything to get better. So I focus, focus my energies actually on the divas because if I can succeed there, everything else is super easy. What most people do is they try to aim in the middle, yep. which is okay to do if you want to get some success. But if you can really do an amazing job convincing, selling, pleading to get data, even if it's a little bit of passive methods, you know, a video camera, whatever, you can go and get a lot of information without having that friction. And I think that's what people need to think about is how to make the experience better for the athlete versus how to convince people, right? So if we're, if we're making the experience better for the athlete, and we go back, you mentioned wellness questionnaires. I think it's a good, it's a good common theme that comes yeah. up over and over again, session RPEs and, and wellness questionnaires because it, it can be done without a budget. Um, what, you know, I can't afford Coach Me Plus, Smarter Base Conduct, you know, Team Builder, whatever is out there. There's, I don't know, athlete monitoring, yeah. whatever it might be. Um, what can I use? I think, I think the, yeah, I mean, obviously there's, if you look at the free products, the Google products, yeah. and be careful what you ask for. You know, like a lot of people say, oh, wow, Carl, like you're customizing stuff and you're, no, this is also a hobby. So not <laughs> only do I have it as a profession, it just doesn't stop. And if anyone knows me, they know it's like, okay, it's 8 p.m. You're still, you know, you're soldering something. Yeah. For me, it's my passion and I'm happy. But I think if you want to start off, you start with the Google products. Okay. Okay. And that's the easiest thing to say, okay, can you do a simple survey, five questions, one through 10, whatever. Okay. And that's, and, and just doing that is a way to say, okay, maybe you leave a little bit of a, a bubble. And I think that sometimes the, the surveys, when you're only answering questions and you're not 
giving, letting the athlete express themselves. It's, I don't need to see a haiku poem, but what you want to do is to say, okay, what if you took all the little few sentences that they put in? It, that's fascinating. Uh, a strength coach with the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, his name is Ryan Reynolds. He's not the actor. You know, I always say Ryan Reynolds, and then you know, like you know, some some of the some of the, yeah, some of the women from uh, you know uh, you know they're walking by and their their ears pick up and you know perk up and but you know he's a, a guy that worked with the uh, national champion um, uh, uh, softball team when he was with Arizona State, yep. and he had a very nice rudimentary solution of it was analog pen and paper. And what was so beautiful is that they had a heavy training session. I don't know if it was because uh, the coach was having a double or something like that. Instead of filling in one through ten, they wrote their own little scale. They, you know, said like fifteen. And, and so, so that, that well, but, but back to scalability and actually monitoring your data over time. That's not scalable, right? Like, okay, true. But that was a design issue versus uh, a you know what type of uh, modality you're using. So what we've learned from that is sometimes it wasn't necessarily that it was pen and paper. It was just the fact that there was a way for pen and paper to express by writing on top of it sure. versus a little, uh, like a dialogue box where you can go and, and just put in a handful of sentences. And so sometimes just having to say free expression, let the athlete drive a little part of the process versus this, you know, this, this cold, uh, big blue, you know, old 1984 ad, you know, where it's just everyone feels that they have to do the same thing. Yeah. Um, so I think that's a, a great way for people to express themselves. And that's what athletes do, you know, artistically in sport, just having it one through 10, it gets monotonous. What do you do in three weeks? They get bored. Interesting. Um, do you think there should be some sort of intervention, even if it is some sort of, I'm not going to say made-up intervention, but to show that there's some efficacy. Okay, so so oh, that in, Derek. oh, <laughs> Derek, yeah, uh, come in, and then that's a good question. Yeah, introduce yourself real quick to the to the laptop. Nobody cares what's going on. Hi, I'm Derek. <laughs> <laughs> okay, just just so you know, Derek Hansen and I have known each other for over a decade. Uh, for better, for worse. For better, for worse. Uh, mostly on the better. So, um, obviously, both speed and power uh, coaches. He's got the some of the same mentors and influences, influencers. Uh, you know, Al Vermeil, uh, Coach Francis. Um, you know, some of the, the the great people that are out there. Um, and the, so the question, let's just repeat that: is like, okay, you got to give feedback to the athlete. Like, hey, thank you for giving me the information, right? So I have a three to one ratio concept. If an athlete gives me something, this day and age of entitlement, I try to give three back. You can say, well, that you're, you're kind of feeding into the problem. Well, for me, I think it just starts off with just making sure that thank you for doing this, right? And you maybe giving them something a little bit more personalized, like an SMS message with the nickname. Say, hey, so they know it's not this robot on the other side or this algorithm. They know it's me. The second part is like, here's what I'm going to do differently if necessary. Yeah. Or tell them like, hey, I got your information. It's okay that we're training heavy. This is the beginning of the GPP. I'm not making, I'm not going to react to this. Because the biggest problem I see with a lot of these teams, they do all these surveys, right? And the guy's like, oh, my, my hamstrings are bleeding. I'm, I'm murdered. I'm tired. I can't sleep, right? And they pour their heart and soul for a couple weeks. Then what happens on the field, the team coach is like, we need to build fourth quarter endurance, 
this is whatever you insert the name of the the university pride. You know, everyone has their own pride because apparently no other college team has pride. So they have the you know the the hills, you know the team you know like the Navy Seal puking, and they say and then the athlete and I've been there too. Hey, I just told you that I have a shoulder problem from doing you know we did ten thousand meters. You know I was I was on a, a swim club, and I just told you that before practice. Yeah, you put me in the lane that's, you know, like the endurance lane to get me more volume. I'm like, it's not making sense. Same thing with the GPS. It doesn't matter yeah. that you're yeah. collecting all the stuff and you're the guy literally sitting next to the team coach. And he's like, hey, I just told you all this information. You're right next to the guy. Can you tell him that we're kind of going hard? And so I think that's what they need to know is that, yes, we are listening. And it's hard when you're only intaking data. Well, I think that's what's happening with GPS too. You're strapping a hockey puck to your chest and, and you're going, what, okay, where is this going? And the practice doesn't change. The volumes don't change. The intensities don't change. And so you go, why am I doing this? And then you do the happy Gilmore and throw it across the field, right? So, But isn't that, I mean, that's, that's always the promise of um, the intervention with GPS. You know, I always talk about that it's not the data, it's the intervention. But the intervention with GPS is modifying your next session based on the information or using the GPS information to actually plan your sessions. What would you say... I mean, just gut call the percentage of coaches that are actually doing that the right way as opposed to just looking at, like, top end speed and odometer. I mean, zero comes to mind. But, um, I mean, there's people that will tell you they're doing it and then, you know, but uh, I don't know if they're just justifying their position or their, you know, uh, the communication is being made, this one-way communication of the, hey, we're in the red or our loads are high. Yeah. But is there a systemic effort to change things organization-wide from the top down to make sure that they're complying to those recommendations? I don't think so. So you get the nail on the head. I mean, I think a lot of, a lot of the issue that I've seen is we, our, our culture with sport is, at the end of the day, the, coach, the head coach is the one that makes the final decision, not the preparation coach. So you're going back to putting in some sort of modification to the program based on the data you've collected but in colleges and NFLs even in the NBA a lot of that doesn't happen because you're the head coach is still the guy that's making the call I mean okay so so, so I'll, 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 I'll respond to that take you know in the winter meetings or or you know at the NFL combine um, let's say you have 30 head coaches, right? Where's the whiteboards and say, okay, what's your weekly setup as a team coach and how do you look at the information that you're getting from your strength coach? When you get to that competitive level though, nobody's saying, nobody's saying that in front of 30 people. I, I understand that, I understand that. No one's gonna say, I'm gonna share my secret sauce, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. But let's say you do it internally. And then there's this space, it was, it was a hypothetical question. Could you see it happen internally? Do they take their coordinators and say, hey, here's our winning model for the Albuquerque Rough Riders, you know? You're not going to see that. You're not going to see like, okay, whoever, like, I'd be love to, Bill Walsh has passed away, obviously, and I would love to say, okay, Bill, if he had, if Bill Walsh had the, the technology now, right, and he came from uh, uh, Alvar Meal, you know, influenced, and, and obviously Dick Vermeil, that whole connection, what would they do and say in terms of, would they leave a little gas for the strength coach on Wednesday, say, you know what? Um, 
I know your strength coaches are, are worried about getting enough gas in your tank for, for the weight room. We're going to cut off by 30 minutes and, and only do uh, you know certain patterns or, you know, or, or type of strategies. I have not seen that. Um, I think that San Antonio, if you look at someone that understands that, I think there's a lot of intuitive coaches that understand work. The finding the winning edge by Bill Walsh, she talked about fatigue, you know, and says you're doing too much. Now, an easy, convenient metric is minutes. But you can see how bad people are messing up minutes. You know, we all saw what happened with Kobe, right? Everyone saw it a, a mile away. Even the sports writers are like, hey, you know, they're using the same terminologies that you'd hear with a strength and conditioning co coach. Volume, density of schedule, travel. And then what happened? Achilles rupture. So I think that, you know, um, and then we saw what happened. He couldn't get back. Humpty Dumpty couldn't get back again. Now, he had a great ending with his last game, right? That's, that's great. But he still got five rings and Jordan has six. If things were different, you know, what would the Lakers be? If they had a situation where Dwight Howard, right, and, and obviously with Steve Nash, if those guys are all healthy. So, Not to say that that would have worked. I'm just saying what if. So then uh, between, you know, the three of you guys, yeah. uh, just quick, quick hit, what would you say is missing in the gap between the promise of what this information is supposed to tell us and the actual usage of that information, Ethan? Well, the, the big or, thing is the coach. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. The big thing is the coach. The head coach did not bring in the technology in any case. It has to start from the top. Yeah. No doubt. So if it comes from somebody else and they impose it on them, it's not going to work. And I think that's been part of what's happened with GPS is you have, it's either like, you know, Team X got it, so we have to get it because Team X got it, or it's the strength coach saying, you know, Team X got it and we got to have it. We got to catch up. We got to catch up. Arms then, race. Yeah, we got to <laughs> catch up. And the next thing you know, coach is getting all these ports and the coach is like, I don't care. Like, we're still winning games. Yeah. And that's the hard part, too, is you have – there are a lot of teams that are very successful, and they're successful because they have great talent. They're still – you cannot – I mean, you can be the best prepared team on the field or the court or whatever, but if that other team is more talented than you, the chances of you winning, I don't know, maybe one out of ten? I don't know. You, quick hit. you know, I think I'm just going to just repeat what, uh, what Derek said. And um, I'm still waiting for that infographic or that really succinct summary of to say, hey, this is what you need to do, head coach. And here's, and that's why you know, I always talk about modeling. What does it look like in a weekly setup so they can understand the technical, tactical things and uh, handling a body in terms of recovery and the training needs of, of what got them great? You know, everyone drafts people from the combine, but they never ask the, there's no, Sophomore combine, you know, year year one or year two, and the, the you know, right? Wouldn't you want to see that data all the time? And, and it's it's amazing. They I I write for Simply Faster, and you'd be amazed. Very few people time because it's such a pure, measurable way. And yeah, the context is different than the combine. But I think that's the issue: is that the coaches, no one wants to educate the coaches. And Randy talked about that. Yep. Very few, you know, coaches that are in the leagues come from like they have yes. a where's the nfl level four you know sports physiology course you have this a little bit with other sports and you see a lot more integration and we're going to see more of that i think but it's too slow it's it's so slow it's glacier speed and that's and not to be a homer but that's what meg stone and a lot of those folks down there talk about is just trying to bring up our coaches in the in this country up to speed with education on 
training and, and some basic phys- understanding of physiology. So, so who educates the coaches? Like whose job is it to educate the coach? Is it, is it the company selling the GPS product or the, ma- the monitoring system? Is it the industry who is, you know, come up with the USAW certification level one for weightlifting? Why not the same thing for, you know, uh, technology? I think EXOS is uh, actually trying to do something like that right now. EXOS. Yeah. yeah, so many X's out there. Yeah. Um, so who's who's responsible for the education of the industry? Because I'll tell you what, I mean, if anyone in this room had access to that technology and all three of you know how to apply it and actually get the right value out of it, but you guys are also on the top you know, percentage of, of people who actually use this stuff. So for everybody else, who's going to... You know, show them. By the way, the best way to use this is to plan your Tuesday practice and your Wednesday practice, and so on. Somebody who doesn't care about getting fired. Um, (laughs) 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 Yeah, I mean, you're not. It's got to come from them, right? It's really got to come from them. And and the 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 hardware company or the no, 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 the the coach or the head coach. Like, I mean, it's nice to be able to say like we're going to educate the head coaches, but you know. I mean, it's all natural selection, right? It's it's that they got the job because somebody thought they were good or, you know. Sure. Uh, but it's not because they've gone through a process of education by any means there. It's a process of succession, right? Like, oh, you coached with him, so the coach, he was good. So. The, the North American coaching tree. Yeah, the great, yeah. The great North American yeah, coaching tree. So. Also the inbreeding tree, you know, because if you think about it, you know, uh, that coaching tree is usually like mine's. And that's not what you want. I mean, you, you obviously want to draw the intelligent, you know, you're not going to have wishbone, you know, NFL teams any, you know, anytime soon. But I think there needs to be, okay, everything's secret too, you know. So I think a, a sensible idea is that someone that's going to be a voice of reason, I think it's going to have like a, either some sort of like federation or some sort of way per, per sport. I mean, no one's going to be, you know, like for, for example, baseball, America's pastime. You're not going to see a, a uh, Eastern Block manual on baseball performance. You know, it just doesn't, there's a cultural, you know, gap that would be there. Well, let's, let's, let's leapfrog a little bit. Um, so we're stuck at the, you know, we're stuck at the high elite level with a gap in education on actually what to do with the technology. Uh-huh. Um, one of your questions here, and that, that came in from, uh, from Twitter, um, what are the problems with technology at the consumer to the high school and the college to the pro side? If the, cons- if the promise of these companies, we take a look at what Catapult just did with their acquisition of player tech, if the promise of these companies is to eventually get to the prosumer market and potentially the consumer market, the regular consumer market, they're going to have to educate these people on why they're buying this and why they're purchasing this. So do they kind of like skip right over the pro teams and then start educating the general public on why it's important and through that maybe the pro teams learn? Yeah, I think a, a good company to, to learn from is actually uh, Training Peaks because there's a yeah, combination of uh, the average person can go trial it um, and it's yeah, catered towards triathletes and you know it's a diverse uh, amount of uh, hardware so the consumer Accountability, the, the it's like almost like crowdsourcing, um, forces an evolution to accelerate. Um, that's one thing to think about. I also think that uh, the more people are, and this is with social media, it's this, it's the strength. 
more people that are voicing their opinion in a healthy manner, whether it be you know frequently asked questions and there's already some light education, it's gonna naturally stir up the pot. So what we're trying to do with all of these, you know, with player tech, for example, you have a, a device that is, you know, 300, I think 300 pounds. Like I always, I, I look at the website, euros, euros or something. I'm not sure uh, what their price point is. Yeah, but uh, with, uh, you know, that price point, it allows a high school kid to say, I'm going to do bring your own device. I, I think my coach is making us do a lot of work. And that creates a natural measurement to say, mom, dad, I don't want helicopter parents, but there needs to be some transparency. But now, but now you're, again, you're leapfrogging the pro teams, you're breaking it wide open, and you're telling the consumer, this is the best way to use this stuff. I think there's a combination where, and this is where the quantified self movement is that it's very bottom up. Um, hackers, I mean, the first thing they do is they get the piece of equipment and see what they can do with it. So you want to have a combination. You want to have a vision of someone that, in the, in with, a, with a vision of someone that has that talent of Steve Jobs, you're not going to have a huge crowd that uh, as talented as that man was. So you want to have the, the vision from top, but you also want to have the crowd give some natural checks and balances. And, you know, to say, hey, this is, you know, like for example, the, the, the joke about, uh, and, and Ryan Horn was showing the pictures of his catapult uh, custom shirts, that took years for a company to say, you know, hey, the bro is not something that, you know, <laughs> is, not, is not very popular with athletes. Man's the man's ear. I mean, and it's not, I'm not, it's because there is just not enough users. Catapult, while they might have a huge saturation in the pros, it's still compared to like a Fitbit doesn't have the pain fi uh, because they almost had a monopoly for a while. So, um, Company, a company like Whoop, when we were talking about those guys before before we started here, appears to be trying to get the athlete buy-in first. A company like Zephyr, when they work with Major League Baseball, the pitchers can wear the you know the devices in game, but it's their data first. Sure. So, do you see this? Do you see a trend where this is going to again flip on its head, and these companies begin to work with the prosumer or the educated athlete first? Because the teams haven't been acting on the information, or do you? I mean, like, we're, we're I'll, just... I'll I'll give you a very personal side. Look at uh, look at Inside Tracker. Mm -hmm. Inside Tracker. Um, when I first saw them, I remember as a coach the the suffering that it took just to get a simple blood test for vitamin D. Mm -hmm. And this is the late '90s. And then you know, 2010, 2011, they came aboard, and it's an individual athlete that's just curious, he talks to the sports scientist and he has a little bit of a curiosity, could go on his phone and with white glove service, like an Uber coming to your, you know, to your, to your house or whatever you, you are, you can get a uh, prosumer experience. You're getting the, the very effective, uh, you know, uh, thousands and thousands of clients to shape a product but then you have the high level quality. We're seeing that all the time now. You have agents that are trying to make sure that they're protecting their assets. You have the individual athlete that says, I don't trust anyone. I just need to make sure I can control my own destiny. And they say, well, you know what, if I was with this team, I, you know, it's amazing. Uh, social media, I saw a Twitter tweet of a private handbook on nutrition from a, from a soccer athlete. And it showed, it was like, you know, you can tell there's the logo and the, you know, the coach. Sure. They're saying, hey, do you believe in this? 
So there's a community, an underground, almost like a, I don't know, some sort of, yeah, an underground community where the athletes are talking and saying, hey, what do you believe about this? Well, think, this about, think about all the retirements that have happened by guys who have, you know, you know potential CTE issues or, or guys who, you know, just quit. And then they still have, uh, you know, a lot of career left based on what, you know, guys have done in the past. So you have Marshawn Lynch, you have... Uh, um, the receiver uh, at Detroit, Calvin Johnson. Yeah, Calvin Johnson. Yeah. So yeah. these guys are quitting, and people are like, "Hey, these guys still have a career." But I think education has taught them, like, you know, your bodies can't take it, your brains can't take it, and they've made that assessment themselves rather than being dictated by the convention of the league. So, so then, if I if I'm a pro athlete and I'm looking to protect my own interests, yes, you know. What choices do I have besides consumer products? I mean, like, where where can I actually step up and do something? What leverage do I have to actually do this? Yeah, yeah well, it, it's, they, they have, have money. money. That's, that's the, the first, first thing. thing is, they have, but I can't. But I can't buy. A, I can't buy a one-unit catapult system. I can't buy a one-unit whoop system. I can't buy a one-unit fatigue science system. I can't buy. That that's what that well that's what we we think we know, and you know a lot of times you can say okay, uh, for example the the Sunto Ambit watch. Right, I have athletes that are just casually wearing the watch, you know, and that is a GPS tool, and you can see the, you know, you can see the heat maps, the the data. It's not ninety nine percent of the the more enterprise products, but it's pretty darn close to what the data that you can get. Yeah. So there's a point. Now they're not. It's not like James Bond where every athlete has Q, but a lot of athletes like that. They like the fact that they get stuff that no one or no one else has. I was talking to the guys from Fatigue Science, and you know the fact that you can go and get a Jawbone or a Fitbit—that's interesting to to an athlete. But if you have something that's exclusive for only elite athletes, that's very intriguing. I mean, look at—I uh, was—I watched the Wimbledon finals, and Serena Williams has a commercial with IBM Watson. And you can go on the IBM Watson website right now and have your own Watson site that you can upload your own CSV data into. Uh, and I think that just reaffirms what you're saying is athletes are the, the uh, informed self. They're, they're interested in, like you were bringing up with Calvin Johnson. Um, he has, you said you had money, but he also probably did his own Googling and probably did his, he sought out his own advice through Google or his own medical staff or his own doctor and probably did his own research because they're going to make their own decisions that they think is best for them. Well, how, how dangerous does this get when um, 10 years ago I walk into uh, my, my high school coach or my college coach or even my pro coach, I'm like, hey man, I read in Men's Health that blah, 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 I should be doing this workout for my buff arms. Well, now, now you take that to a deeper level. Hey, I wore this nine ninety nine, you know, wearable device that's telling me that you're working me too hard. Like, like where does that begin to like? Well, okay, so so that you know, we we experience that. What happens when you have the private coach whispering in the ear of a, of the elite athlete? Yeah, you got that. Right. You have the uh, the athlete said, okay, I had a former strength coach that you know I really liked in college, right? Mm-hmm. That I liked what he did, but he's not available to help. Um, you have uh, obviously the uh, one assistant and a head strength coach with the with the team now that might have different uh, opinions. You know, there's a little bit of a, uh, of a of a power struggle internally. I think it's okay. It's naturally going to happen, but that's going to force 
people to address what I consider the biggest elephant in the room is, you know, everyone's worried about self-preservation. And, you know, all these leadership books that we see on social media, you know, you see everything. You just go to any Barnes Noble and you see like a, a, a coach that is, you know, very famous and, and then he has like a, the winning edge, you know. And, 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 I, and I'm guilty of this. You pick it up and saying, what is Phil Jackson doing? Well, it's nice to have Kobe, Shaq, and MJ. Yeah. But on the other hand is like, okay, what can we learn from a guy that's dealing with some amazing athletes and managing them? So I think we don't know what the answer is, but I do like the fact that I'd rather have people talking about training and having an agreement issue. You're going to have that regardless. You had that way before the internet. You know, you, uh, in the 1980s, uh, an athlete's training at a training camp in Italy. They see the other group of sprinters doing certain exercises. How come we're not doing that? Well, maybe because you only have two years of development and they have five years or, hey, all those guys never make the finals because they blow out their backs doing something that might be a, a risk. So I think it's good that people are talking. It's just, uh, I think the real issue is people are not talking. That I would agree with. I would totally agree with. Like you said, we get back to the things that are being told in secret behind behind the scenes and not actually uh, sharing information. And you know, there would be there would be an there would be a, an amazing amount of teams that we would sit down with, and um, you know, we're simply a, a data. Derek thinks. I, I know you got to go, run. I, I got to handle my own self preservation. <laughs> 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 He's, he's actually doing the intervention. You know, his wellness questionnaire says, have you eaten, have you fueled lately? My blood yeah. yeah. Do you feel, do you feel your blood sugar crash? Yeah. Well, I actually came uh, uh, prepared with, uh, thanks to your, uh, your power bar or whatever, your builder bar. Well, I, I think we're wrapping up and probably going to question two. You know, I think that's... <laughs> question two? <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, it's but, 50 but, minutes in and we're at question two. But it's a little easier it. now because it's like, you know, obviously with, with uh, Derek always adds... A great perspective and usually very blunt, um, but I think it, you know. Well, we uh, need we need more of that, and yeah. so many people are afraid to to you know like break the 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 um, you know the shell and like talk about things. You know, it's like you know, make the omelet, you gotta break the eggs. So many people are afraid to say that either in um, settings like this where you're actually up on stage. Social media, where then you get branded as you are an A guy, B guy, or a C guy, yeah. and you know you you simply just want to have the um, here you do it. I don't know what your thing is. You just simply want to have the conversation, and people are afraid to ask the questions. And like Derek said, because you might get fired, um, you know, like there's I, I just don't see an answer to well the, the conference is the, just, just one of the answers. answers. Like, well, they are for, for having, you know, the social events and everything else like that and hanging around afterwards. But during the conference, when the guy's on stage, you know, people are really rare, rare. But again, if you don't have a way for someone to, to, to create a gathering and, you know, someone brought it up. Finally, someone, someone spoke up after years of saying what everyone's thinking. Yeah. Randy broke the ice. And that's what we need to do more of. Um, and I think it's because of guys like Jay who are facilitating this. Yeah. And, and that's, no, that's I, I think it's, it's, I think the trend is gonna be better in BSMPG, for example. You know, yeah, merging, really, really missed that this year. Literally merging sports medicine and strength and conditioning. Yep. And that, you know, I can't blame Art. He's, he's there, he's just had a kid, you know. But I think those are the things that, you know, create a, a way for people to talk. Um, so Ethan, you mentioned, uh, personal Watson websites, which gets us into the next question we have on here, 
why modeling is the future and what does it mean? Modeling, modeling, modeling. And 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 um, this is this could be a two-hour podcast all on its own. Um, so let's let's just set the stage in the difference between modeling and monitoring. Yeah. Monitoring being you know just tracking the information and modeling being using the information in an informative way. So, because we can get into, oh, if you're using questionnaires, if you're using this, if you're using data. Yeah, I, I think so let's, yeah, yeah. In the pure in the peer sense, if somebody's listening to this for the first time and they hear the word modeling or predictive analytics or machine learning algorithm or something like this that really sounds sci-fi and techie and whiz-banging yeah. and everything else like Artificial that. Artificial intelligence. Yeah, let's get, yeah. Pa- let's get past Neural all... Neural networks. Yeah, yeah. Let's get past all the BS and actually talk about what's real and what's applicable. So let, let, I think that's important. You say, what is real and what's applicable? And I'm going to say that again. What is real? <laughs> what are people really doing? Yeah. And, then, and then what's something that you can actually do in, in a setting that's chaotic? Um, I hate when people start talking about neural networks in these roundtable discussions because I always ask, well, you know, and I have the ultimate metric for, uh, for, uh, for athletes that aren't fitting the perfect model, if you will, which is what time in the morning are they driving at what speed with what blood alcohol level, right? Where, where did the sleep education work out, right? Where did all the predictive analytics, did you actually have like a giant safety cushion so they wouldn't crash? Come on. So I think it's really damaging. The reason we're not making progress is because there's a lot of smoke and mirrors. Underneath the hood, you hear all these startups and they're saying we have you know, the typical term, and I use it all the time, the analytic engine. And it's really easy to say you have this magical backend. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think when, when people think about modeling, and I don't want to bastardize the term, but it's usually a composite of measuring things and having a plan. Mm-hmm. So periodization, fancy word for a glorified calendar, schedule. Yeah. you know, a, a calendar, yeah. you know, a plan. And then monitoring is just measuring things mm-hmm. and observing. Yep. So the, 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 the issue I'm seeing with monitoring is, is that it became a reactive world where we're waiting for the sky to fall. We're waiting for someone to always get tired. Yeah, we understand people get tired. So I think modeling is, is more of a positive term in saying, hey, we're going to manage these variables. We're going to take these inputs and we're going to have better decision-making that we've already kind of scoped out. We know that people are going to get tired in the playoffs. We know that, you know, attrition happens in football where you're going to have to get people off the practice squad. We know that when a guy has an ACL tear, it's going to be tough getting him back by a certain time, and maybe it makes sense to, to do some trades. I think we're going to see more of that, and, and modeling is this, don't be scared by it. Uh, a lot of strength coaches, especially at the lower levels, become paranoid when they see some sort of you know, pop culture book and it's always something that has nothing to do with sports, but it's like an expert. It's a business book. Or the, it's, it's always the further away the expert is, yeah. the more of an expert they are. The further, the further. Chef, I can tell you, he's got this whole system. Yes. So for example, like, and, I, and I like outside the box learning. Yeah. Uh, I forget the, the name, it's like uh, Yuri Dreams of Sushi, of, of sushi yeah. which is a great thing. And it's like craftsmanship, it's great. But then you have people will spend a year promoting this idea, anti-fragile. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what? 
I like the idea. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Yep. It's hundreds of years older than that, you know. And you know, you can get and not try to reinvent the wheel. Let's not try to sexify things. Let's not try to pretend we're smart. Yep. Let's deal with the real core issues. So I think modeling. It, I, I think we should move on. I mean, that's just enough to get people's so, appetites so, wet. So what if I'm uh, again? I'm the I'm the uh, coach who's listening to this for, for the first time. I've heard all these cool words. I know that they're techy and interesting, and maybe even my statistics class. I, I you know was interested in it for a little while. What can I do in a, a practical, real use application to begin my first modeling experiment? Like I want to take a look at. Two, da- two different data, or find two different data points that actually co- correlate to each other. I, I think the easiest thing for a strength coach to look at is a conditioning, strength and conditioning, old school. One conditioning metric that is you know very easy to capture, very valid, and then balance it off with you know, you know. So it, it's simple: conditioning and strength. Find a strength uh, or power type indice. Find a conditioning variable that you can kind of. You might not have to test it, but you can kind of track some things. And I think just say, do, do these inputs matter? Um, body composition, right? I, I have a, 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 a really good friend that says fat doesn't fly, right? And so what he does, and, and this is uh, for body types, what he, he, his father was at a racetrack, loved racing, horse racing, and I love uh, anything with a, with a stopwatch, so I love the, the, the horses. But he said, I could look and say, this person probably has a chance to run fast because they're lean. You know, so I think you've got to take uh, a couple data points and say, how much, how, what's it worth? You, know, you see these guys with 150 dollars to $200,000 worth of vibration platforms, and what person says, okay, this vibration platform is worth a tenth in the 40? Now, what's it worth? So that's what I think people should do is to take two really crude metrics and say, how do these things uh, carry over throughout the season? And then see, can you sustain it? Can you just check on it? And, that, and that's where we get back to the applied side of it because so, you know, so much of this is like, well, it's big data. We need a lot more information. You know, we need to test all these things and so on and so on where it's like, well, look, you can get started with as you're saying, two metrics that actually turn into some value and then begin to test your different conditions and your inputs to actually find out whether or not there's an effect to those, right? right. So one of my favorite coaches that I've coached with, and he was the head coach for, I was with him for two years, and I was the assistant, and I just kind of was there for the ride. And this was, I don't know, five years ago. And Coach Tommy, we, we, we did the very basic program, and all I did was measure someone's smile because... If you deal with sprinters, sometimes the personalities in any athlete, talented people sometimes have, you know, a little bit of baggage. And so all I did is measure how many times did the person smile? How many times did she get a big smile? And I, and I just rated it one through five. This is when I was experimenting with facial coding. And I said, I can guarantee that his program is going to elicit a really good response. I, I was shocked. I said, you know what? It's working, and I wouldn't do what he's doing. And she became an All-American, set the record, and uh, it was amazing. Um, and I think people need to have something that they believe in and then to say, hey, does it actually correlate? Now, causation does not mean correlation, but at least have something that's an early warning uh, system or something that says, hey, something's jiving here. Don't we always talk about this at the office, that one book that's like all the – correlations between two different data points that 
have nothing mean nothing like you know uh, you know the uh, government domestic like, a number of, uh, like ice cream ice cream and crimes passes. crimes or something uh, yes. like that yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Jeez, I'm glad you guys are here because I completely screwed that up but, yeah. yeah it's no. usually yeah it's usually crime because yeah. as the summer comes up there's more youth out and yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and yeah. up to no good. <laughs> Um, but the fun, the fun part about this is that everybody's talking about these, you know, building these uh, systems into these software packages and platforms and even, you know, um, I don't know, just even like a wellness questionnaire is going to have predictive modeling into it and well, built into it and stuff Carl, like that. But, about modeling. I think to me, you're talking about if just finding a relationship. Not necessarily building some artificial neural network or some logistic yeah. regression. I mean... If if we had that ability, there there's a lot of smart people in this industry that that would have already done it, in my opinion. Uh, so to me, when you talk about modeling, it's like you know, back in the day, uh, people with longer arms do less pull-ups than people with shorter arms. It's something like that. It's can we measure two things and do they relate to each other? Not necessarily build in some ginormous machine learning algorithm uh, in R. Yeah. Um, that's yeah. that to me is what you're talking about with modeling. Uh, because in my opinion, and, the, and that's why I, and that's why I wanted to clear this up because yeah. I think a lot of people take a uh, look at what um, Twitter is such a small like micro. You can only fit so many characters. Yeah. You throw a thing out there. There's no emotional context. You got to explain yourself, and it just evaporates so quickly. And people just hang on one tweet. When you say modeling, they just go, "Oh, um, I've yeah, machine learning," and I've seen. Uh, you know, um, insurance modeling system, and there's thousands of inputs, and you know, hundreds of variables. Big and, data, and, yeah, gigantic Cloud. data. Uh, we can't, we can't do that in yeah, this yeah. in this yeah. field because we don't have enough information. We don't have enough data. I just sent, I just sent Kevin an article yesterday that uh, was it Athena Health? No, Google Google Health yeah. is mining a million images a day to catch eye diseases earlier. That is big data. That's unstructured big data. Having 50,000 rows by 150 fields isn't big data. <laughs> but uh, you can get to basic modeling if you're looking at a single variable and then looking at what inputs affect it. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the simplest modeling that you could think of is, are you maxing out trimp? Everyone's moved on to everything else since, like, like... It's been around for a long time. I mean, Polar is not like it's a startup, you know, and people have to realize, like, they keep moving to the next big thing so they don't understand modeling because they don't get, uh, they don't, foundation, their foundations isn't historical. So there's no history with sports technology. People think, oh, three years ago it, it started. I'm like, no, technology starts when Grog the caveman scratched on a bone to keep a, attendance, you know? So I think that with uh, modeling, the, the, the sports that you can learn from, um, it starts with the most basic. You know, cycling is really strong there. Obviously, there's a doping issue. Um, so, you know, but that's, that's, that, that's the final number. But they're still, they're still training. They're still trying to get better. So there's still a lot to learn from, even from a, 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 any sport. At the high level, there is drugs, and it adds another variable. But we kind of know what the drugs are. We know what they do. So it just only augments the scores. Formula One. I hate going to these huge sports analytics conferences because you, you see this typical recipe. You have a general manager from a, a random team 
you have a, a coach who's retired, is on a speaking circuit, and they always bring in Formula One. And Formula One, first of all, I'm a huge fan. Everyone knows that. And you can learn a lot from that. But what's happening is you're getting people that are on the proxy that sometimes are speaking, and they're not doing it justice. Now, on the up, the other side, uh, Red Bull. They spoke at the FLIR conference in Nashville last year. And I was like, finally, someone's showing the bridge of applied sciences. And I think that's what we need to see more of is like, okay, cross-pollinization, but not trying to be sexy. Say, oh, I'm learning from all these other fields. We tend to see that is where you can get like the books, the, the more outside the box you are, the more of a smart thinker you are. And I, I deal with a, a bunch of really shrewd coaches that are very old school. And I was at a conference in a, uh, it was like a speed conference, it was NASE. And the guy was coaching longer than I've been alive. And he had so much wisdom because he's, history trumps theory. And so when someone goes, I have all these ideas, I said, go to Wikipedia and, and work backwards. Who's winning and why? So I, I always say this, if you're looking at any information specifically on the Olympic level, just go to Wikipedia and see who's winning. Is there a pattern with coaches? Versus, hey, I have an idea. So that's kind of, you know, I'm getting onto a, a rant. I promised I wouldn't do that because I was warned about it. Uh, yes, you know, this, you're called a ranter. Yeah, it's therapy. Yeah. Bob, Alejo, Bob Alejo said that? Yeah. yeah and Carl Valley, the ranter. But he, you know, he, he cleaned it right up and he goes, no, man, like you, you know, you ask the questions. And, um, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, 144 character arguments out of there, out there. And, um, some of it's constructive and some of it isn't, but yeah. you know, I think it's it's one of the rare places that we can actually um, ask uh, ask the real questions. Yeah, uh, we got to wrap, or else we turn into a pumpkin. I think at midnight or over an hour, Annette basically just starts cutting us off. So um, let's, let's go, go rapid, rapid fire. fire. Rapid fire, yes. Yeah, I think that's the easiest thing to do. Like you know, one oh, minute drill. Okay, uh, number th two minute question. drill for yeah. podcast. Third question, and we're already an hour and a half in. What are we not measuring? I think we're not measuring things like personality and sports psychology very well. Um, Pat Davidson is a, a really bright guy. Maybe he should be putting on a podcast. Is that I don't think we understand sports psychology. It's 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 on the it's strength and conditioning, then nutrition. And then really on the far outskirts is sports psychology in terms of what people value. Sure. So I think if you can do more there, I think we saw that, that ACE you know, uh, questionnaire. I think we need more there. And uh, the psychology, and, the, and it's, a, it's a really hard area to, to, to make sure to vet that who's good and who's not. But I'll just leave it like that. We need to do more sports psychology. Those are very rapid. <laughs> good. good. <laughs> Big news this week, uh, Catapult purchases a couple of companies, and one of them is Player Tech. Who are they, and what does it mean for high school? Player Tech is a um, player tracking uh, company that's in Ireland. Um, I've been using their, their products for a while now because um, I wanted to brace myself not only for GPS and accelerometry, but I'm bracing myself for some of the IMU stuff. Yep. So, you know... That's what I'm. That's what I'm seeing. Is is that that's a company that just got acquired, and I'm I'm really excited uh, that that's going to help high school, and we're going to see a, a a big Cambrian explosion. Yeah, we're excited about it too. Uh, number five. What is the key to getting compliance with data? Um, athlete user experience. Start with uh, working with addictive behaviors, 
and then throttling it down. That's it. You know, Natasha Shul, you know, is, is probably someone that you might want to think about. And that's, that's how my perspective, just throttle down addiction versus trying to move from the very bottom of the heap, which is trying to beg and plead. Can you say that name again so we can look it up? Natasha Shul. She's an MIT professor, Got writer. It. Yeah. And what's in the future? Future, the future is going to be getting data from the eye, amazing organ system, and we're going to see more there. All right, that's it. Great. Okay, the, the, there's literally a security <laughs> custodian. Security yeah. throwing us out. So, yeah, awesome. so we're good. All right. Thanks, Carl. Yep. Uh, thanks to Derek and, of course, Ethan. This podcast number five, Coach Me Plus Applied Sports Science Podcast. Thanks, everybody. Thank you again for listening to the Coach Me Plus Applied Sports Science Podcast. Remember to sign up for the Coach Me Plus newsletter and hear every episode of the Applied Sports Science Podcast, as well as our Sports Science Minutes over at CoachMePlus.com.